Well, welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to episode number 82 of Starting the Conversation. My name is Alice. I'm your host. And this week's co-host is Helen Cotty. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm so excited for this conversation. Uh, it's going to be a good one. <laughs> I feel like it's the most, like in terms of this new format where there's a conversation starter, this one feels like the one where I'm most like absolutely no clue where it's going to go. Right, because I think it's more in your hands than it is mine. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Alice? Mm, we'll get into that later. <laughs> how, how I don't like being out of control. But anyway, how are we doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, very well. Yeah? Thank you. Should we start with our lows and then we'll end with a high and take people up at the end? Yeah, okay. Um, low has to be yesterday after I finished with a client and the dog vomited all over my daughter's gym mat. Ooh. And it's just not what you need, right? No. In the middle of the day. So uh, sorry for anyone squeamish well. out there. Yeah, Monday morning, dog vomit. Delightful. And I actually had a similar Monday. My low is actually that I was filming a video. And you know, I don't know if you find this, like, just working from home. uh, My family like to work from home a bit too. Mm -hmm. So it can be quite difficult to find a slot where I know it's going to be silent. Yep. And I perfected an hour and a half slot. And I filmed this video that I've been trying to film for about two weeks. And I got it done. And then I went to stop recording and realized I hadn't hit record. Oh, you're joking. And I just thought, I like it, honestly, it wasn't even a surface level, like this is awful. Like I felt <laughs> awful. Did a little cry. I walked around the house, like just shouting out loud. And right. then I just had to go on a dog walk. So I was like, I need to go over myself. Oh no, it's gutting though. You it put all gutting. that time and energy in. And wait, for me, it's worse because you know someone's waiting on it. Mm-hmm. It's fine if it's for me. Mm-hmm. I think, oh, fair enough. You were an idiot. But it's when like, ah, that person needs that thing. Yeah. So then it was a bit of a late night, early morning situation. Oh. And as I was working late last night, similar to you, I was just getting a bit of work done and heard a lot of nice retching noise. And my dog had just decided to throw up on my carpet. It's, it's not What's right. Thanks for that. What is it with dogs? I don't know. I feel like I have a, a gap between when I feel like I'm going to throw up to when I throw up. Right. Whereas it feels like they just wake up from their sleep and about two seconds later they're sick. Just going to puke on the carpet. Doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not right. <laughs> What's your high? Bring us away from the Okay. Um, so last week I got to lead my first ever retreat with the reform curriculum and it was uh, completely terrifying but really, really exciting. So massive high personally and professionally. So um, yeah, 15 women in a house in Derbyshire. All reforming so these different parts of their life. And mm. yeah, it was brilliant. And we were saying about this before we hit record that obviously I did a retreat, but it was for like 12 people and I literally paid two other coaches to help me with it. Yeah. I cannot, like, that's a lot of space to hold. How did you feel afterwards? Was it like a hangover of just like, this is intense or? Yeah, well, it was really interesting. So I, um, I have a good friend who's also a life coach. So she was with me, but from the kind of perspective, she was coaching as well, but really holding the space for me. And we both kept saying it felt easy, which was really curious because I was expecting it to feel really heavy. But I mm. think the difference when you're leading your own stuff, because I've led retreats of other people's material, when it's your own stuff, you're kind of internalized on the whole process. So I got to the end, I was partly just like, oh my gosh, it worked. Yeah. It's a miracle. Um, I wasn't and, just making it all up. Right. Apparently this is a thing. actually does uh-huh. work. Brilliant. Thanks. But you've of course spent so much time. So I've been working on the material for over a year. And of course it builds on everything else you've done. Um, so I did get to the end and I was like, okay, so now I'm going to go and drive home and do the kids laundry, which is just the weird thing about being mum as well as running your business and you have this huge high and then you just go back to this normal so I've learned to try and mark the moments I'm not very good at celebrating them so I'm I'm learning that helps you get to the end and you go okay high five yourself 
And then you get back on with the laundry. Yeah. (laughs) And retreats are such a bubble as well. I definitely didn't, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So before I did the retreat, I just thought, oh gosh, it's just going to be like hosting a really long workshop. Uh And then you go and you kind of feel like you're in your own little world. Yeah. Because you're all living in the same space. You're all working in the same space. You're eating in the same space. Mm -hmm. You kind of forget that there's anything outside of it. Yeah. I even remember during the retreat week, very glamorous, we ran out of toilet roll. So I headed out to go and get some because I just thought I think I just need a slight break and I remember just walking around Tesco and being like there is a world outside right. of this Tesco little still bubble exists. that we've been in <gasps> and it is it's like that when you leave you kind of I have to pinch myself and remember that it happened yeah because it feels so separate from life mm-hmm. now yeah and that's one of the things mm-hmm. when it's coaching which obviously you'll get from your retreat as well is you want it to be like a mountaintop moment for people but then you need them to take it out of the bubble so that's the bit of transitioning from like, we had this amazing four days in Derbyshire in this beautiful house, but you have to go back to your real life stuff and take this with you. And, and you have to do the same. You have to leave the thing and go back to your normal and yeah, go shopping in Tesco. So It's a bit odd, isn't it? <laughs> it, is, it is a really strange thing. Yeah. That's so cool though, 15 women. Yeah, yeah, it was good. That is a good high. There was a little moment on the Saturday evening and I sat and caught eye with my friend as if to say, oh, we're doing it oh yeah my gosh. oh it's a real thing and I feel like that's something you have to do when you work for yourself all of the time mm-hmm. is just force yourself whether it's because something crazy happens or whether it's because you realize you need to stop and just go oh my gosh like I'm doing it yeah like that thing that I thought I wanted to do yes I'm not doing it in the way that I might want to yet or yes it's not as good as it could be because it never is as good as it could be but we're doing it right I feel like that's such a simple yeah. thing to sit with of like I'm doing the thing yeah Come and on. I think Honestly, I've seen this more with women entrepreneurs than anywhere else. We're really bad at it. We just, we don't mark the moments. We don't celebrate ourselves very well. We tend to just get on with the next thing. And I think it's really important to just have those moments where you go, wow, I I did it. Like I Mm. created something, it's working, people are getting value from it. Um, Before you go back to yeah the laundry or tesco or that's whatever. so good yeah. that's so good um i think my high my high is a bit of a weird one it might sound weird but it, it's a big one for me is that i feel a bit like a 21 year old at the moment mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is i think in a way like things ebb and flow right between i think in my life there is no balance between business and personal because at the moment it's all business because the life stage that i'm in allows it to be that way yeah and i think in a way to to build what I've built in this time it's taken like full commitment all my time all my energy and it's quite a nice place to be in now where I'm not like taking my foot off the pedal at all but I'm kind of able to slightly step back and just Mm -hmm. go okay I think I have built something that's going to sustain itself without all of this energy all of the time maybe there's some other things that can fit into my life I think it was because about a month ago I don't know if you saw my Instagram I had a bit of a nosebleed you did sickness that was a whole moment wasn't it that was a moment Um, and behind that moment was a pretty rough week in terms of how I was like feeling in, in terms of feeling sick and I think from that I just had that reminder that I think I need all of the time of like you just need to chill out ever so slightly mm-hmm. so it's been really nice in a way to like trust the business that I've built and actually put my money where my mouth is and trust it yeah. by taking some days off and not working the crazy hours and not always pushing through to the very very end of the day when the list is done but maybe just trusting hey those other things can wait mm-hmm. and it's definitely not that I'm like a reformed person and I'm now working nine to five Monday to Friday <laughs> But it, my mum said to me the other day, like, I, I think I apologised for not being home much. And she was like, Alice, you're being a 21-year-old. Like, you're doing 
fun things and I was like oh oh yeah yeah (laughs) I'm like that's normal so that's been a fun thing and again I think it comes from a place of reflection and actually stopping and going where are things at Mm -hmm. because if you don't stop you run until something stops you right and I think that's almost what that sickness was was like come on I think your your body at some point will tell you to stop but you Mm kind of don't want to get to the point where your body has to do that um before you realize maybe some fun or some rest or you know going out with a friend or yeah whatever it is enjoy your life yeah right because otherwise what's the point I know because as much as I find joy in my business there are days where my business isn't joyful right like yesterday flipping Nora was not a joyful (laughs) day and there's sometimes when it feels really hard and it doesn't feel successful and I think in that previously because there's never been anything in my life apart from the work really mm-hmm. when business has been hard my whole life has felt hard right. whereas I think it's it's nice in a way to discover this other side of life that isn't connected to work that I can almost dip into yeah when work doesn't feel 100% there's still something that brings joy or brings satisfaction mm-hmm. and it's like so surface level but so not surface level and how yeah. it impacts me yeah and I feel like that's it I, I'm definitely at the start of that like realization that's I'm sure really it's going to take a lot more hitting brick walls and nosebleeds to get to a point where it's like (laughs) maybe not too many nosebleeds maybe not too many yeah and then it's fun to just explore like around what you get to enjoy and like and Mm -hmm. that's the thing when you're 21 you get to play with that and I know. Do some I crazy stuff. You're 21, Alice. I always forget. When I'm like, I met like four different people last week. They were like, yeah, you're like 27, 28, right? And I think just because I hear that, not because of how I look, but I guess just maybe how I show up sometimes. Yeah. I don't take it offensively at all, but I think in a way that just tells my subconscious like, okay, like you show up as that, so therefore that is what you should mm-hmm. show up as. Whereas I think reminding yeah. myself like actually like you'll probably look back and think, crap, why did I not use being 21 a bit more to my advantage right because there'll probably come a point where you have other responsibilities on top as well disgusting yeah i look do not look forward to that day helen (laughs) well we'll we'll talk about that when we get there alice (laughs) pop round again So like I said at the start, this week's conversation starter is probably the one where I feel like I've got the least control. People always say about the podcast, like, oh, it's so conversational. I just feel like I'm listening to two mates. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, great, that's what I want. But Flip and Nora, what's going inside of my head when I'm recording is a huge amount of intention around, okay, now we're going to go to here and I want to ask them that and I want to get to that conclusion. But in a way, this conversation started doesn't allow for that. Because what I want to talk about is the power of self-awareness yeah. when you work for yourself, when you run a business. And I guess then open up some space for us to practice that self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Because you, as a life coach, like that's what you facilitate for people. Yeah. So to give people an example of what it looks like to delve into that self-awareness and show that it's sometimes uncomfortable and sometimes something that doesn't look super shiny. Mm-hmm. But the end product of it is incredible yeah so talk to me about self-awareness like if I were to say to you like why like why should we be self-aware because mm-hmm. I feel like within my business I'm always coming to realizations where I go oh my gosh if I wasn't self-aware about that pattern in me or about that tendency that I have I don't think I would have made that decision in that way I'm so grateful I've got that self-awareness yeah but from a coach's perspective why is it something that is so key I think in all people it's really important to know who you are and who you're not because then you get to craft a life that works for you but more so when you run your own business there's even more rope for you to be able to do that so there is something that makes Alice Benham Alice Benham and that thing is unique and no one else has it 
And if you're conscious to that, you can choose it. And if you're not conscious to it, you kind of fall into it every now and again. But also, you're much, much more likely to end up being something you're not if you're not conscious to it. So whenever I'm working with anybody who runs their own business, people who are writers and creators in any way, the most important thing is them figuring out who they are, what they love, what they hate, what they want, what they're about, what makes them different, Mm. all that kind of stuff. Because then you get to choose what you do with it and what you create. And it's really interesting because people will see it naturally in you. So what's amazing about the work that you do is with all of the Instagram stuff, people get to see aspects of you, what you're like as a person, you know, your facial expressions, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So there's a deeper level, which is figuring out what motivates you, what you really want for people. And that's the stuff when you can name that. Once you've seen something, you can't unsee it. Mm. I think, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there with, I think, why self-awareness, actually, it's often presented quite glamorously and in a Mm -hmm. shiny way. But in my experience, it's so uncomfortable to work through. Because in a way, when you're not self-aware, you can kind of be a victim of your own self. Mm -hmm. Like, you can just be like, oh, that's just me. That's just a pattern I have. That's just something I do. (laughs) Hee hee, like, kind of lose responsibility of it. But the second that you recognize, like, oh, this is me at my best. This is me at my worst. And this is how and why those happen, right. you're now in the driver's seat and you're so much more responsible for how you show up because you know mm-hmm. why you show up. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, So there's something called a vulnerability hangover. Mm. And that thing is when you've really shown up as yourself and you just know that it was real, it was honest, it was authentic, it was vulnerable, but then afterwards you have this like, <gasps> it's almost like the feel like you've been naked and people have seen the real you. That's where the magic happens. I mean, that's when, particularly when you're running your own business, that's when it's genius. When you can be the most uncovered, you're not trying to be something you're not, but it is the most vulnerable. And that's hard. It's a scary thing to do. It is, yeah. It's a very scary thing to do, especially when, and I felt actually incredibly grateful, I think just in the way that I was brought up, like in a church setting where actually self-awareness is a huge part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. I feel so grateful that that's almost ingrained in me and it's not something that has been a huge realization, but I feel like it's just always been part of my story. Whereas I can't even imagine like when something is so deeply entrenched that it's maybe 30 or 40 years in the making and you've not had an awareness of that. Right. Like it's no wonder that that's not intimidating, but quite an uncomfortable thing to want to broach because it's almost you don't know what's under the surface until you scratch that. Mm -hmm. Well, we're all conditioned by society, by our parents, by our friends, by our schooling. We have these things which are planted in us really, really early on about who we should be and what we can't be. And a lot of the work is picking through which of those things serve you and which are real and which are not helpful at all and you have to get rid of. And it is a powerful moment when somebody who's been living a certain way for 40 years suddenly has a moment where they realize, oh, that's not me. That's not who I am. And I don't actually have to be that anymore. I don't have to play a game or play a role. But that's when the hard work begins of figuring out. So if you're not going to play that role, if you're not going to pretend to be something that you know kind of works, otherwise you wouldn't have carried on doing it. Yeah. But you have to figure out what's real. You know, that's, there's some work in there. Mm. What, I'm curious, what did that look like for you? Because like, as a life coach, like no one is, is born uh-huh. necessarily with that like self-awareness and intuition and you know, yeah. understanding. So for you, you must have been through that process as well yeah. of like, oh crap, mm-hmm. here's how that self-awareness has helped me. And then I'm assuming you do what you do because you want to give that 
transformation or right you know to other people yeah so I would say the moment I realized that changed everything and I was 30 um so I had been in leadership positions the whole of my 20s so very quickly people realized I love leadership I love being in front of people and I can handle it well and I always could quite early on but what happens when that happens early on is that you start to play a role so there was this Helen Cotty that I'd created and I didn't realize I was doing it I I wasn't intentionally being inauthentic and some of it wasn't some of it was super real but it was this process of I knew how to be a person that worked well in certain environments in certain job roles and then I realized some of that wasn't real and you get to a point where you have to ask the question am I willing to let some of that go and risk the loss that comes with that to see what's on the other side of it so I came across coaching through a friend who invited me on a retreat it was all around identity and figuring out who you are and I was terrified. I went over to the States to do it in Chicago. And I can remember being on the flight and thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. This is balmy. And yeah, got over there, did the retreat. And it was a moment that changed everything for me. But it was one of the most real, authentic, honest moments I had, which was when I had to put some certain things down and just say, part of who I've been being is not actually me and I'm not going to do it. And then I've spent 10 years keeping on that process, I guess, and fell in love with it, retrained as a coach, now do that work with other people. Um, But I do think it's a journey that you go on long term. Mm. Because self-awareness isn't a one-time thing. No, sadly not. Mm. (laughs) It's not like, oh yeah, I went on a retreat, I hired a coach, tick that box, I'm self-aware now. Because surely, and this is an assumption here, is, you know, as humans, we're constantly stepping into new versions of ourselves Mm -hmm. and changing and evolving as our circumstance does. So surely the self-awareness that we require is shifting as we do as well. Yeah. I think there's something, if you do a retreat or something that's a fairly intensive process of self-awareness, you learn some skills that are always going to help you. Mm. But you have to keep using them. Otherwise, you naturally fall into something else. So you'll have new roles, you'll have new relationships, you'll have new friendships. All of those require that process but particularly in your work it's so so easy to pick up other people's success criteria you just look sideways at the person next to you doing something a bit similar and suddenly you think well if I was a little more like them Mm. because that it's working for them so you end up just without even realizing it picking up some bits of other people and you try and glue them onto you Mm. and before you know it you're back into that process where you think hang on I'm trying to be something I'm not again yeah how did I get here again talk to me about that thing because I guess as you know 95% of the people listening are going to be either current or wanting to be business owners and Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs and you mentioned in there that kind of one of the ways that self-awareness shifts the way you show up in your work is around like how you define success yes and I think that is a really big conversation at the moment and it needs to be because like you said it's so easy to let what we see in people around us or what culture tells us to create that definition for us. Mm-hmm. What would be like for you and your work that you've done with kind of business owners or people that are in leadership? What do you reckon are the biggest shifts that come as a result of self-awareness? Like how does self-awareness show up then in the way that you work once you've got it? Um, the big shift is you go from being an outside in to an inside out metric person. So outside in is you look around you and people tell you what it means for you to be a success. So 
Are you earning a certain amount of money? Do you have a certain amount of clients? Um, Are certain people connected with you on social media? Do you tick certain boxes that people say, this is what a successful business owner looks like in your industry? Mm -hmm. So one of the things for coaching is people constantly talk about the six-figure salary. Okay, so once you hit six-figure salary, you've made it. So are you telling me that someone who earns a thousand pounds less than a six-figure salary is a failure? Like, I mean, you know it makes no sense. And yet we put these metrics on ourselves, but they're always outside in. They're someone else's version Mm. of what success is. The inside-out piece is of naming um, your own success criteria. So who do I want to be? What do I want to create in the world? What are the values that I live by and work by that means that I don't shift um, because those things will change mm-hmm. over time. You know, in 10 years' time, the external metrics of success will have shifted, okay? Um, you think 10 years ago, pre the Instagram world and stuff, it'll look completely yeah. different, right? Yeah, yeah, So those things will change, culture will change. But if you know what fires you up... So for me, one of the big things that I did was figure out what is work because I spent a lot of years volunteering my time And it can be very easy to think that that is less valuable until I realized I have a definition of what work is that maybe will look different to other people. But if I stick to it, it brings me to life. It brings me joy. And I'm actually really good at it. But if I try and be what other people tell me I should be, I tend to just do it less well. And also it doesn't fulfill me. I'm always searching for the next thing and you never make it. That's the kicker. When you take an external measure, you'll never get there. Because when you hit that one, there'll be another one. Yeah. And then there'll be another one. And you'll get to the thing that you thought would make you happy. And you get there and you think, oh, but there's another hurdle over there I've got to get to. So Mm. you're always seeking something outside of yourself. And that's miserable. Yeah. I mean, that's huge, isn't it? Because I think I have so many conversations with clients or friends in business who say that exact thing of, you know, I'm exactly where I wanted to be externally Mm -hmm. six months ago or a year ago why do I still not feel fulfilled? Right. I think, it, I guess it's understanding like what's underneath those external things that's actually why you want that. Yeah. Because no, like I doubt that anyone wakes up in the morning and purely thinks I want to make a six-figure salary. Right. There's a reason why they want to do that. And that I guess is more the thing that you need to understand and be connected to. Yeah. Because like you said, then the second you reach that measure, I think the way that our brains are wired or at least the way that mine is, is that you're constantly then just like, well, what's the next big thing? Mm-hmm. And then I guess you're in that cycle of just kind of unfulfillment. Yeah. And it's but never... working harder and harder and harder mm. and harder to try and get to something that will never fulfill you. And yeah. that breaks my heart when I see people, they're running their own business, they're putting so many hours into it, they've probably given some kind of big financial commitment to it, and they're chasing after something that I know, even if they get to it, won't make them happy. Mm. And yet the thing they need was in them the whole time. They just didn't know it was in there. Yes. I love that thing of like, you have everything that you need. Yeah, right. And But then acknowledging, but maybe I don't yet have all the tools that I need to pull those things out. And yeah. that's okay. Or even just the awareness that they're in there. How do you find mm. them? If it's all in you, it's just the process of figuring out what those things are. Mm. That's the work, I think. Well, that's a perfect segue, I think. Because I'm, I'm assuming at this point, people that are listening are probably thinking, well, self-awareness sounds great. I'd really like some of that. How do you get self-awareness? Yeah. And what I wanted to talk about in this episode is I guess a model of helping to understand yourself that I have found like absolutely fundamental to me being self-aware in the way that I show up in my life and also the way that I show up in my business Mm -hmm. and that is 
the Enneagram model. Yes. Is that the right Enneagram model? That's that right. Thing? Yeah. Enneagram yeah. system. Sum it up for people people who don't, like, I think people would know of Myers-Briggs. They mm-hmm. maybe know of Finders. Or actually, I'm surprised. I think just because I've grown up in an environment where all of those things are second nature, not yes. everyone even knows what these things are. So can you give us a summary of, like, what Enneagram is? Yes. So you named a, a number of different personality typing tools. So it is one of those, but is slightly different because it goes beyond personality and instead it looks at motivation, fears, the way that you show up best. And it also has levels of health and unhealth, which means it, you've got somewhere to go with it. But it is fundamentally a typing tool. Um, there are nine types within the Enneagram model. They are known by a number and a name. People tend to use the number because the names can change depending on uh, where you look with Enneagram. It comes from a super old system. Nobody quite knows the roots of it, but it's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. And then made this massive resurgence back in the 70s and 80s. Um, And now it's used in the business environment. It's used in faith circles. Some people use it in dating. Apparently there's like Enneagram dating. Oh my gosh. I know, right? To be fair, something that I used to love to do is if I was interested in someone, I'd figure out their Enneagram number and then Google like Enneagram 8, which is me with an Enneagram this. Mm -hmm. And it would give you this really in-depth, totally like you do not need that much information when you're just thinking about dating someone information on like, this is what you'll disagree on. This will be your challenges. This is what will bring you together. And I'd always be like, when you're parenting children, you know, all the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's a great model because it actually is really wide. So there are books written about how you do relationship between Enneagram numbers and how you manage somebody of a certain Enneagram type or how to be married to somebody who is not like you. Um, so I love it because it's really wide mm-hmm. and I love it because it gives a path to health, which um, I think sometimes in the other models, it is what it is. It names something for you, but it doesn't tell you where to go with it. Yes, that is exactly why I like Enneagram. Right. Because with other models, it often feels like it's a, oh, I'm an INFP, hee <laughs> hee, that's just me. So therefore these bad qualities are just that's me right whereas what I love about Enneagram is because it does the well here's you in health and here's you in unhealth yeah is it does put you in that very responsible and uncomfortable position of well that's not just me that's me as a result of a choice that I've made yeah and you're then responsible and that's a great thing mm-hmm. but also sometimes it's a bit like ah okay yeah I've got to do well it, it makes you look at yourself good and less good yes (laughs) and and like you say it puts the responsibility in your hands Mm. of this is who you're being and here's how you be you with a little more skill and a little more health or not Um, but here's the impact if Mm. you choose to do the work or you don't do the work and what's so interesting about Enneagram is there's only nine types but everyone that I know that's done it reads their type and goes oh my gosh that's me to a T yeah it's so I guess you know is that because it almost acknowledges like I guess the qualities underneath the mm-hmm. surface rather than you are extroverted and you are this and you right. are that. It's almost like, well, here's what's under that, yes. which is how it feels so specific when it's speaking to you. Yeah. So one of the things different about Enneagram is it's not behaviorally driven. Okay. So you and I could do the same behavior, but have totally different motivations as to why we do that. Mm. So it, it goes underneath the behavior um, as to your motivator. And that is connected to your fears. Mm. <laughs> Let's get into the bit of the podcast I'm not looking forward to. I wish you could see her face. <sighs> because I just feel like let's 
give some people an example of what this looks like in practice. Yeah. So I'm an Enneagram number eight. Yes. And there's a, like, I remember for me when I got first typed with this Enneagram number, I remember the moment so clearly. I was reading it in the book and I just thought, I feel naked. Yeah. Like exactly what you said at the start, where you just feel so exposed because all of these things that you thought nobody saw in you or you were hiding so well, or in fact, you didn't even know, suddenly come to the service and it just puts such a language to it. Right. So I guess what I think would be interesting to do would kind of be to almost switch places here mm-hmm. and in a way I guess coach through as an eight how first of all like what my type is and then I guess explore a bit of how self-awareness around my type interacts with my work and maybe just help people to bridge the gap between self-awareness just feeling like a fluffy extra and actually self-awareness being really fundamental and understanding how right. you shop at your best and also how you show up at your worst yeah which is probably the side that I'm less looking forward to <laughs> because as an eight I quite like control. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can you give people, so people have a nice introduction to Alice Benham as an Enneagram. What is an eight? Yes. So the Enneagram eight is most often called the challenger. So they tend to be very strong. They tend to be very independent. Mm-hmm. They like to be in control of themselves and they don't like being controlled by others. Um, they're actually the type on the Enneagram that have the highest energy So they show up like a whirlwind lots of the time. Um, So they're very galvanizing. They're great at creating things and moving things forward, but they can be a lot, Mm -hmm. Um, which is often where the shame piece kicks in for an eight is they can feel too much. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but their greatest motivator is like being independent, creating something um, of strength, challenging things that are wrong in the world. Um, and independence is a big deal for an eight. Yeah. Even you saying that, I'm just like, how is that what anyone else is? Because that just feels like you're reading out what's inside my head and what's inside right. my heart. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. And I guess, I don't know, I feel like within an eight, I feel like for a long time I was the victim of, I don't want to be an eight. Because they're sometimes presented in a slightly mm-hmm. unattractive way? Would that be yeah. an okay way to say it? So one thing that's so worth mentioning about female eights mm-hmm. is they tend to be shamed a lot in certain environments because they're strong. They're, they're what you'd call a natural leader if you think a kind of traditional leader role is the eight. Mm. Um, in men, it's celebrated, and often in women, it's shamed. And so you may have had the word bossy used. <laughs> Around no, you. never. <laughs> I don't know what I'm you not mean. controlling at all, Helen. <laughs> right, but there's the thing, right? Because um, female eights often that strength is put in a negative box rather than it being a positive box. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious for you, like early on, because you'll have shown signs of being an eight early on. Mm-hmm. Um, was it celebrated or was it shamed? Um, I think in a way it was probably a case of life is easier when we just let Alice do her thing. Mm -hmm. And I think in a way that's why I don't feel a ton of shame around being, not a leader, but around showing up in a place of like, well, this is what we're going to do and this is the plan. Because I think when I look at the people that I was brought up around, my friendship groups particularly, what I notice is that when I look at their personality types, they're not the people that want to make the plan or want to make a decision So we almost, I probably, we were both in unhealthy places Mm -hmm. where they were being allowed to kind of just go with the flow and slip under the radar. And I was being allowed to dictate everything, but it felt comfortable because we were almost both in 
goes yeah. opposite places. Right. And I think it's it's always interesting to me when I hear more about my Enneagram because it's definitely something that, again, you don't hear it once and get it. Like every time I delve into Enneagram, I learn something new and something points out to me. In a way, I think the fact that I work for myself and I've never been employed says a lot about the fact that I think I just know I couldn't or wouldn't want to show up in spaces where that mm-hmm. shame for showing up as who I want to be could show up. Yeah, right. Because in my first year of business, it was like, male dominated corporates Mm -hmm. and I was constantly in chameleon mode and I think I mainly burnt out because I was so not me right that makes sense yeah like I I was physically exhausted but I think I was mentally exhausted more than anything because I never really felt like me Mm -hmm. because I was always trying to be not to this and not to that and don't say that then and speak quieter then whereas in a way I think then when I burnt out and rebuilt stuff I was like well I'm going to build a business where no one can ever say that to me right so now I I don't think that shows up a huge amount. Yeah, yeah. But that's probably because I've controlled it so that it doesn't. Yeah, but that's the great thing because eights are great at recognising what is needed mm. and moving it forward. If they can get over the internal voice that's like, don't be too strong, don't be too much. Like, no, be much. That's you at your best. Yeah. But in certain environments, that's really hard. So mm. in, before when you were asking why is this self-awareness stuff so important you've just named it because you will burn yourself out trying to be something you're not trying to play a role that fits someone else's agenda or you be you and for an Alice Benham in the world you need the space to be strong you need the space to make decisions you are a leader like you can see that you're surrounded by people who look to you it is you at your best Mm. But you have to get to the point where you recognise that's you at your best. Yes. Can we talk a bit about eights at their health and unhealth? Yeah. Because I think that's a really unique part to Enneagram that I find really helpful. Like you said, with almost feeling like you're in control, not in a like needing to be controlling sense, but in a, I actually can do something about this. You feel more proactive, I think, when you Mm -hmm. recognise, okay, well, here's me at my best and here's me at my worst. So I recognise where I'm at in terms of that. Talk Mm -hmm. to me a bit about that. So the best way of looking at the Enneagram model is the, there's an, an image around Enneagram, which is a circle with nine points around the outside. And if mm-hmm. you imagine yourself standing at the center of the circle, there are nine windows out to the world that you can look from. So you have a natural strength in one of them, usually one more than the others. So yours is eight. So you naturally look out of the eight window. So health is first and foremost knowing that and knowing what's good about it and what's not good about it. The second stage of health is then knowing you can turn around and look through any of the other windows. That's the beauty of the model. It doesn't box you in. Mm. So you are naturally an eight, but you can always tap into the other numbers when you need to. But it's about awareness. It's about knowing when. It's about knowing what helps. The eight in particular, the strength is autonomy, which I prefer the word autonomy rather than controlling or bossy because I think they have negative connotations to them Mm. but autonomy is about you don't need anyone else for you to be you which i'm guessing you now know that is so me (laughs) (laughs) right like helen i cannot tell you how i'm in a mild stage in my life where i'm dating Mm -hmm. and it is a minefield right because i just i love me Mm -hmm. and i love the life i've built yes and i really don't want someone else to get involved in that right so here's the beauty of knowing that about yourself you Mm. need somebody who not only will handle that in you but will celebrate that in you Mm. who will give you all the freedom that you need 
to go off and be the best, biggest Alice Benham in the world that you can possibly be. If you start dating somebody who's going to try and get you to play smaller, you already know that won't work for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So that's where self-awareness works in your personal life as well as in your um, work life. Mm. The downside, uh, the unhealthy side of the eight is usually... Um, they tend to struggle with vulnerability and real vulnerability. <laughs> oh, I don't know one. what you mean. <laughs> Absolutely no problem. <laughs> Most vulnerable person in the world. Right, so... Eights, real vulnerability, I guess, being the key part. Yeah, so eights can learn how to give you a level of vulnerability, but they are still in control. Mm-hmm. So they know there are certain things that are off the table. Your face is a delight. Oh, I'm just thinking in my head. This is about to go somewhere I'm not going to enjoy, but hey. Yeah, sure. Let's go there this. then. So how are you with vulnerability? I find this a hilarious one. And I find this very... I feel fine about this being shared on the podcast. But I wonder for how many people, if they were like if they were to look at the Enneagrams and they were to see eight, where it's like fear of vulnerability doesn't like being seen people would probably, if they know me from a work sense, just go, oh my gosh, that's not Alice at all. Mm -hmm. Because it's not super intentional, but what I seem to have got a name for is for being very honest and very vulnerable and very real and very raw. Mm -hmm. And I kind of have to laugh when I see that because I just think flip and gnaw it if only you knew. Yeah. Like, of course, I'm doing all of that for the right reasons. Like I created this podcast so I could share vulnerably, so that I could share people what it's really like. But I know there is so much behind everything that I share that's vulnerable, which is things going through a filter. And there are so many areas of my life that are completely off limits that I don't share. Mm -hmm. And also so many things about the way that I share, which makes sure that actually I don't share something until it doesn't feel vulnerable for me. Yes. But I share it in a way and I share topics which to other people would make them go, oh my gosh, that's so vulnerable. Right. Like I know in my life I could talk about mental health Mm -hmm. in any capacity I'd be really happy to open up on that topic and that generally is a topic where other people then think wow she's she's open she's real but then there'd be other areas of my life probably like my personal life where I just think there's no way that I'm going to explore that Mm -hmm. but in a way I know that by sharing 20% really vulnerably people don't go looking for the 80 right because they're satisfied with the 20 yeah yeah well you've just described the eight beautifully there (laughs) because I'm a walking example yeah but actually there's so many things that you've spoken about there that are really healthy Mm. because there are tons of eights that share nothing right they are just this um strong powerful in control persona and for you you've you can clearly see that you've realized people connect with you when you give them something underneath that there's then just the stuff underneath that which is a different level and it it's not always the stuff that you would share everywhere let's be clear yeah um there's actually something really important about boundaries that you don't give everybody everything that's not honesty that's Mm. actually just not clever unhealthy right (laughs) for everyone but you have to have some people who see it all Yes. I th- yeah, I think that's a really important clarification because it's true to say I wouldn't share true vulnerability online. There's probably like 10% of what I share where there is an element of discomfort and I think, okay, this does feel quite raw. Mm-hmm. But everything else, so that it's actually productive for other people, of course, I know needs to have gone through that filter and needs to have been processed and needs to be spoken about you know, in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But I think definitely what I recognize about actually how my lack of vulnerability shows up is completely one-on-one and personally. Right. So I can 
talk about past tense stuff till the cows come home. Mm -hmm. You try and ask me what I'm struggling with right now as a friend, as one of my parents, as someone that I'm close with, as someone that works with me. That to me is where the immediate wall goes up. Yeah. And interestingly, I think that was one of the big reasons why I burnt out in that first year is just no one knew. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've had conversations with my parents about it since, but it's, it makes me sad to think that actually no one had any clue. Right. I was so just in my own space and like was struggling so much, but it doesn't even cross my mind when I'm struggling that I should tell someone about yeah. it. Because often there's a message in, internalized in the eight, which is vulnerability is weakness yeah and so um because they value strength the idea of intentionally showing somebody their weaknesses seems ridiculous Mm. of course the growth being vulnerability isn't weakness it's its own strength yes and there's something that can come from that that you could only get by being vulnerable Mm. Um, and and bringing that softer part of yourself which is harder for eights to bring unlike twos who they're all the softness. Yeah. So actually for them to bring the stronger part can be tricky for them to do it in health. That, that's where this model is interesting because you realise the things you value and the things that you bring are someone else's stretch edge and the things that they naturally bring are your stretch. Yeah. It's so interesting, isn't it? And I think as well, like twos particularly always stand out to me. I'm surrounded by a lot of twos. Yes, you are, aren't you? I mean, yeah, a lot of twos <laughs> in my life from like snap judgments I think a lot of the people that I work with are twos as well mm-hmm. which can you quickly sum up what a two is so that yeah not two is driven by relationship uh, love affection they just have this like they're the people who will open their home to you always feed you always be there for you they're very driven by relational connection mm-hmm. so my mum's a two Beck's a two mm-hmm. I used to date a two quite a lot of my other friends are twos So I think in a way, because I'm surrounded by so many people that the way that they show up is almost the polar opposite to me, where it's like, okay, you've told me too much or you've just kind of overshared. I think in a way that frustrates me. So I just think, well, I'm never, I'm never going to do that. Yeah. And I think it feels like there's, although it is, yes, I don't want people to see my weakness because I don't want to get hurt. And I guess we'll get onto that, not wanting to get hurt bit. But I think in a way it's also like I... I don't want other people to feel responsible for my issues. Mm-hmm. So I you like to hold them on yourself, right? Yeah. Because you can. Yeah. Because you're an eight. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to come to someone with like, well, almost like even, even now, and it's, you know, this is still, I think this is something I'm going to work through my whole life. But even when I'll go to my parents when something's going wrong in the business, which I would have never done two years ago, and I'm learning to do more of now, I still don't really come to them until I've got a bit of a plan. Right. It doesn't even feel like an option to me mm-hmm. when I'm first having the realization of like, crap, something's going wrong to go and share. Like this tiny thing runs through my head of like, should I just ring? No, 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 no. Like we're not ringing someone and telling someone this. It's almost that I feel, yeah, I don't think it's a, that I don't want people to feel responsible for it. I think that's why I tell myself to make myself feel about it. So what I, is it really? Well, I guess it's a, I don't know. Well, I do know, but I don't understand it yet. Mm-hmm. You can feel it. Yeah. Right. So one of the things about eights is they tend to feel things in their body. So you can see automatically in that moment, like your body shifted, (laughs) which means you're holding the awareness of what it actually is, even if you haven't given name to what it is. Mm. Um, So one of the beautiful things about eights is they kind of can't get away from themselves. But I mean, you've said this widely is that your body holds a lot of the information you need to stop. Mm -hmm. Um, It's your body that gets sick. 
um, it's the nosebleed. Yeah. It's the, like, like I get an ulcer in my mouth the second that right. I'm close to burnout. Mm-hmm. So there are three different centers of intelligence within Enneagram. One of them is the body. Um, so it's the gut center and that's mm-hmm. where you are. So you will feel it physically. There's a lot of information in that. So again, self-awareness is then sometimes giving a name to that thing. Mm. Um, and sometimes putting like, oh, you know, I just like to control something. It's just an easy thing to put over it that stops you from actually going into it and sitting with your discomfort physically um about when you are being intimate with someone when you are being vulnerable how that feels and where you physically pull back and where Mm. you physically hide and all that kind of stuff that's where all the information is yeah and but your body will give you a ton of information Mm -hmm. that's so interesting that you say that because i i'm sick all of the time like i'm stressed i call it stress sick but it's my it's almost my body's sign of like we're pushing a bit too hard right so probably about once a week i'll just be super stressed and then i'll throw up okay which seems i mean that's a lot of information that your body's giving you for it to weekly say to you i need you to stop Mm. um you need to stop carrying everything maybe not being as strong as you think you are might be a gift to you Mm. all that kind of information um it's all there it's all available to you it's just listening to it right yeah I think I love the idea of creating, like I, I, I build brands, like mm-hmm. that's my, that's what I'm drawn towards. So naturally I think it's, I think that comes from a really inner place in me where I love the idea of curating people's perception of me. Yes. Like that's, that's exciting. That's something that I want to do. Yeah. Everything that I do, even if it's being vulnerable, even if it's embarrassing myself, even if it's saying something that I know is a bit risky is all done in a way where I know like, okay, the risk of this is worth it. Mm -hmm. But for me to like truly step into each of those things just feels terrifying because I want to always feel in control of people's perception of me. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I do it in a way where I think people would never think, oh, she's not, you know, I give people enough that I think they don't dig deeper. And it's measured. Yeah. Like taken it out. You've looked at it. You've figured out what are the different things that people Mm. could think about this these people will think positively, these people might not, but it's worth it. So it's really measured, yeah. which isn't actually vulnerability. Nope. It's just faux vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think what's within that that I'm seeing flagged up like more and more at the moment is just this really innate fear of getting hurt. Yeah. And I've never understood that actually because I've never, like I've not had a tough life. I've not been majorly hurt, particularly relationally. I'm always terrified that people are going to hurt me. Mm -hmm. And I find that a really interesting one because whenever I tell people about it, they're like, oh, like if you had a bad experience with someone or like did something happen that made that like a a pattern for you? And I'm like, no, not at all. Like I'm surrounded by the best people. Mm -hmm. But weirdly, there's this thing of like, well, if I let people know what's really going on, I'm transferring control over to them. Right. Because that is the, that's the 20% where people can really hurt me. So if I just give people the 80%, they're never going to touch the 20 But the 20 is where like true relational freedom and joy and everything else sits. Yeah, and there's something in the risk. Um, So the word vulnerability comes from the Latin word vulnus, which means the ability to be wounded. So Mm. (laughs) So yeah, that's that's where it comes from, right? So any vulnerability, quote unquote, which isn't doing that, it's not not vulnerability. vulnerability. So it is that thing of like, I am gifting you with something about myself that you could wound me with. I'm, I'm open to being wounded here. But that's what it is to be human, right? Otherwise, we're just playing at robots mm-hmm. where you can't hurt me. 
you can't get, get at me. You've got this shell around you the whole time. So people can only get so close. Um, but the beautiful thing about the, the space underneath that is when you find people you can trust with that stuff, um, that's real connection. That's where the magic happens. It's, yeah, it's just, just getting there. And for your type, it's the hardest. Yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. 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 But worth it. So worth it. And I wonder if in a way that's probably why, like when I recognize the people that I'm closest to and the people that I really feel known by, they are very forward people. Like I could not be in relationship with myself, whether that's friendship or whether that's romantically or whether that's family. I mean like family, you got no choice, but the other two. Right. <laughs> um, because I'm just so withdrawn. And I will take people to that 20%, but they've got to show me a lot for me to open that up. Mm-hmm. And I, I recognize in the people that are very close to me, they're people that are very proactive with being a very enthusiastic and forward and interested friend mm-hmm. because almost I need that to start it and then I'll follow suit. Yeah. But I don't think I'd be the one to, like that feels scary being the first one to right. open something up or I guess just like you said, give people the chance to hurt. And yet one of the things you said earlier was about leadership, right? Which is you and your at your best Mm. so if you can go first in that you'll do it so well Mm. but it's just letting yourself somehow have a mindset which is I can be strong in my weakness I can lead in vulnerability I can go first in this I don't have to wait till someone else has proven it's safe enough for me to get there yeah and that's actually an amazing level of control where you're holding your own stuff and going I'm going to do it anyway even if this isn't met with Uh, exactly what I want it to be on the other side Mm. and I think in a way even when you were saying that I feel like if I split my life into business and personal which is almost impossible but when I look at it from that sense I think well actually in the business sense I feel pretty healthy as an eight Mm -hmm. because you know that true vulnerability aside from on a one-on-one level isn't doesn't it's not got space in the work that I do I show up vulnerably quote unquote vulnerably (laughs) for the sake of other people then opening up and for the sake of people feeling connected to me and again, with like the work that I do, I, you know, nothing flags up when I think like, oh, I'm always pushing the boundaries and trying something new. And I think, well, yeah, that is me. That's what I do. Yeah. I think in a way though, I've in putting so much attention onto my self-development within how I shop in my work, I think I've completely lost or just not valued my self-development within my personal life. Mm-hmm. And I've probably just lumped them together and thought, okay, that surface level vulnerability is where I show up everywhere. Yeah. And I think, again, trying to separate the two and recognize that in a, my personal life, that's actually where I get fed. Right. And that's actually where I can show up like as that true self. Mm-hmm. And be seen, mm. which we all need. Like We all need people who see us really as we are, the whole of ourself. Like, we need that as yeah. human beings. And so it's really hard to get that in work. Some people do it. Some people manage to build a career where they totally fully show up. Now you have to have some, you know, probably good therapist, I'd guess, to do that work. <laughs> but you really need it at home. You you need it in your relationships because otherwise you are just a persona. Yeah. And it's really hard to build close relationships when people can't, can't get to the real heart of you. Yeah. And I'm guessing you've probably had that feedback somewhere in your life as an eight. Where you had somebody go, I just don't feel like I can see the real you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because the other types go there much easier. Mm-hmm. And, and they want to see that. Like for them, that's, especially if you're surrounded by twos, 
they'll want that bit of yourself mm. but you trusting that you can go there yeah is, that's a growth edge yeah and what's interesting about that is that idea of like when people say to me as a joke like oh my gosh you're just like a robot I'm like thanks <laughs> thank you like that's that's the goal um, like I, I want to be seen as this like like I show the vulnerable stuff because I know that people don't connect to a robot but in a way whenever my robot nature which isn't you know it's curated I'm a complete human behind it but the idea of like I can do loads of stuff and I can work loads of hours Mm -hmm. and I can push 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 to me is a complete compliment and if I'm not self-aware just makes me keep going in that cycle but then what's funny is I want to be seen as a robot but I also want to be seen so then I get really frustrated with myself and with other people and I just think well why don't why don't I feel like I'm being me? Why do I not feel like you're seeing me? Why do I not feel like you actually get me? Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh crap, Alice, that's because you've not done it. Yeah. And I think, again, it's that separation between the two of like, okay, well, in my work, it's fine that I show up as that. And there's there's still growth there. But particularly in a personal sense, and I guess for me at the moment, because relationships and dating is a current like theme in my life, it's showing up a huge amount mm-hmm. in the sense of I will get to a certain point in dating someone and then go crap, well, this is going great for you and this is going shit for me because I don't think you can actually see me. Right. But that's not what I immediately think. I immediately think, oh my gosh, this is rubbish. Why is this not mm-hmm. what I want? And then I go, oh, it's not what I want because they don't actually know me because I'm so scared of getting hurt that I've kept it in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And it's and then, really hard to have your needs met if you don't tell people what your needs are. Yeah, like It's really hard for somebody to witness the real you if they can't get anywhere near it. Mm. But it's, it's risky. Of course mm. it's risky. And it's it's that whole thing, is it better to have loved and lost than never been loved at all? I mean, that in some ways, that's kind of the mantra yeah. of the A, is they want to be loved. And there's this kind of soft centre at the, at the middle of them. But the fear of the loss and the hurt and the, are, are you going to do something that wounds me, mm. will often cause such a level of self-protection mm. that they don't really ever feel truly loved. So that got deep quick, didn't deep. it? <laughs> Surprised I'm not cried, to be fair. We've done well so far. Let's flip it to another side of Enneagram 8 then. Because yeah. something I find really good about the Enneagram particularly and how it's so, like you said, it's not behavior focused. It's what's underneath that is how I show up in different situations and recognizing why I make certain decisions and why I do different things. Mm-hmm. So talk to me about like an element of that like as an eight what would be an example of like a way that I show up mm-hmm. or a pattern maybe that would show up within my work which would be like self-awareness around that yeah. helps me to move forward so one of the big things to know about eights is that they value autonomy it's the biggest value they have so you, you need to be in control of your own self which is probably why you run your own business it will always be harder for you to have a strong boss than it is for you to be the strong boss. Yeah. Okay, so much easier fit for you. So now you know that about yourself, you're a choice. So you either choose to do something that fits you really well, or if at some point in your life, you do choose to step into a space where you're being managed by somebody, you'll have an, an awareness around that. Mm. Yeah, another one is about uh, making decisions. You like to make the decisions. Mm-hmm. So whenever you put yourself in a position where you can choose in your work, you'll thrive in it. Mm. because you'll have a level of control over your own business that works for you the reason why I love that self-awareness is because there's such small shifts that you can make yeah which allow you to be in that healthy place Mm -hmm. like for me even that you know you can make your own decisions and you're in control is as simple as well instead of 
you know, me giving people full reign of my calendar, I give them those specific times that they can yes. see me and book in. Right. And instead of, you know, just saying to people, okay, just let me know, actually learning that, oh, okay, well, there's a reason why I then begin to resent that project is because I've not set any expectation for them in terms of how I want to show up. Yeah. Like realizing like, oh, okay, that's not, it's not something that majorly impacts them. So why not then just shift slightly the way that I shop so it's going to help me? Right. And then you go down another level, which is who you're being in your work. So you're working with a client. Like, be strong. Be the challenger. Yeah. Be the one who pushes them. And that's what people will either want to hire or not. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting one, actually. Because every time I do it, and I'm sure you get it too, you know, and you're like, I'm about to say something. And I think this could go one of two ways, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to trust that this is what they want. And anytime I then say it, like I've never had a bad reaction. They just go, oh my gosh, like, yes. Right, thank you for that. And then I go, oh, okay, that's something you want from me. And maybe mm-hmm. I guess there is just that conditioning, I think, especially over female aides of you've got to hold Not back too and you're too much. much. Yeah. yeah. Because we all need to be challenged, right? We need challenges in the world. Like I have a love-hate relationship with aides. So <laughs> they kind of slightly terrify me um, because I'm a four. So I'm sat on the other side of the circle. But also... It is the eights in my world who have created the most change, the most challenge. They've pushed me to be my best self. And I love that. So I've had, uh, my coach is an eight and he he shoves me into places where I'm like, Whoa! because his natural stance is strong because he does challenge because mm-hmm. he makes me look at challenge. One of the big things that he's been questioning in me is autonomy because he gets that thing. And for me, I blend so easily with other people that it's so easy for me to lose my autonomy and yeah. just, I find myself in relationship with others, but finding myself as a separate human being is much harder for me. Mm. Well, you'll find that thing like super straightforward. So that's where you realize your gift is some of the stuff that you don't even know is a strength. Yeah. You just do it so well anyway, Yeah, which is, you know, people will hire you because of your strength, because of your autonomy, because of you have this area of control, but also they can see that you're leaning into your stretch edge, which is your vulnerability, the softness, the being real. So, uh, but yeah, the more you know what is you at your best, the more you can choose to bring her in your work, Mm. in your relationships, at home, all over the place. Yeah, I just love that. I think it's the most powerful tool is self-awareness. I think it's the one thing you can't, I'm sure you get this as a coach, you can't force it on anyone else. You've got to right. want it. Yeah. But I think the second that you want it and you're willing to like go through the messy stuff and the uncomfortable stuff, like mm-hmm. realizing why you do certain things and realizing that you're not as perfect as you think you are, you're just in the best place. Yeah. You're not perfect. No one then changes overnight as a result, but you're just empowered with that understanding that like you said, you can then move forward mm-hmm. as a result of. Yeah. And I think particularly now more than ever, um, who people are, changes whether you work with them whether you buy their product or their service so you know for people like you and I who are doing this kind of work people will buy you mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because there are other people who do the work that you do so the, the more you know what sets you apart and the more you are that the more likely someone is to connect with your energy the way that you are in the world and want to buy that thing they want it from you specifically yeah um, and so it's why I push people who are doing this kind of work so I work a lot with coaches and others who are trying to build a business and you know there are there are coaches all over the place now right so what sets me apart as a coach what sets you apart as a coach Mm -hmm. is who you are 
I mean, yes, it's your training. Yes, it's what you know. Mm. But deeper than that is who you are because yeah. we connect person to person. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the nature of humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so people will fall in love with you and they'll want to work with you so when they see you. what that is. Knowing what that is and bringing it unashamedly. Mm. This is me at my best. This is what I do. You can't be all things to all people. Otherwise, you end up being nothing to anyone. Mm-hmm. And you let the other people around the other side of the Enneagram wheel go and do their thing. So somebody who does the same work as you, as a seven or a four or a three, great. They'll connect with a different group of people. Yeah. But the people who need you and need your eightness, mm. they, need, they need that from you. And you're the only one who can give that to them. Yeah. That's the beauty. Yeah. And I'd love for people as a result of this episode, I guess, to start that conversation for them yeah so I know like with Enneagram I worked through it with a coach and Mm -hmm. I know it's probably one of those things where it's best to do it kind of one-on-one with someone what would be a way that people could like begin to dive into that is it like can you do online tests for it does that work yes suggest um you can find free online tests I would say hold them with a bit of caution (laughs) you know sometimes people have just kind of made their own thing up no one else can type you Mm-hmm. So when you work with a coach or an Enneagram specialist, all they'll do is guide you to you understanding which is the window you naturally look through. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one way of doing it. But if you want to do it um, on your own, uh, go down the rabbit hole of Enneagram people on social media. Um, you'll naturally start to connect with certain types and not others. So sometimes ruling out what you're not is a great place to start, as well as ruling in what you might be. So I self-identified as a seven for a long time. Um, There's lots about the seven that really connects with me. It took me a while to find out that I was a four, and that was from working with someone specifically, but there's loads of stuff out there. A good one to start with is Enneagram and Coffee on Mm -hmm. Instagram. Um, Really easy, quite light Um, But it gets to the heart of these different things and helps you to start to figure out as a tool where might you fall Mm. in the model and and play with it. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there now. Enneagram's becoming more and more popular. It's exciting. Yeah, it is. It's cool that it's becoming part of the conversation. Yeah. I'll um, I'll link that stuff in the show notes so people can find it. Um, But yeah, it's interesting as well. And I guess it's the conversation of how it then just becomes part of your everyday. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, I think because I'm in circles where Enneagram is quite widely used, you then just notice you'll go, you know, if I'm making a decision at work, I'll think, I'll say out loud, they might not get what I mean, but I'll go like, it's totally the eight in me that wants to go with that thing. Yes. So therefore I think we should do that. Or right. excuse the fact that this might just be completely 80 of me, mm-hmm. but here's this thought or here's what I want to do. Yeah. And I think, yeah, again, Enneagram and even like connecting with those social media accounts almost just helps it become that bit more practical and you can recognize how it interacts with your everyday yeah and something that I have as well is I don't know if you get them any of thoughts mm-hmm. so the daily email I'm gonna find one actually because I feel like mine are often I have to say the I think they're quite harsh on an eight. mine are pretty they, savage they, they're strong aren't they mm-hmm. so if people don't know what any of thought is it's basically you just go to the website again I'll link it in the show notes you put in what your type is and then they send you an email every single day with kind of basically a challenge for your type all right so here's one uh today take time to open up to love willfulness and hard-heartedness will block your ability to feel and express love being aware of this when your buttons are pushed will help you let go of this behavior 
Right. All in. There you go. Just a little something to practice on a Monday morning. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or this one was like, back to basics today. Remember that your basic desire is to be and feel strong, real and alive. Can you become aware of how your basic desire is the root of many of your most compelling motivations and unconscious actions? Right. So good, because they just yeah. like, again, it's that feeling that, that something is just speaking right at you and mm-hmm. breaking through the bull crap of like, ah, oh, that's just me. That's what I'm like. And we're like, okay. Yeah. Come on, let's keep working through this. Yeah. Well, I think we all want to evolve. I think there's just something within mm. us. We want to get better. We want to be our better self. We want to be better next year than we were this year. This is just an, one of other models, but I think a great model mm. for helping you to walk some of that out. And like these simple tools, like a little message in a morning or checking on an Instagram account or something, it's just a great way if you've been conscious to it. Yeah. And when it's put in front of your face, you kind of can't ignore it so mm-hmm. yeah. I love that Helen thank you so much for joining me you're so welcome I feel suitably naked do you so feel seen that's good I do feel seen I'm so glad I also feel like you've just given me like 10,000 self-aware thoughts and now I guess because I think my brain is definitely the type of like okay we've realized there could be transformation somewhere let's run after it because right. we just want to be the best yeah so yeah. now I'm like crap we've got to we've got to complete <laughs> that conversation in my head of like what is the root of all of that and It's a lifelong struggle, isn't it? (laughs) It is. It's a journey. It's going to be good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Mm